What I'll do is I'll go into reading the passage, so if you want to open your bulletin. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. This is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And by the way, this is not Lazarus as in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is just a generic Lazarus. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he looked up, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. As an opening line to the message today, I'm just going to say that it's easy to misunderstand what the Bible says. When I prepare my messages, what I do is I Google the title, like for example, Lazarus and the Rich Man, and you get all these hits, and then there's the image section, so I click on that, and all sorts of pictures and drawings and artwork comes up. And so I just like to look at those just to, to get some ideas for slides and whatnot, but it, it, it kind of struck me that uh, the, the vast majority of images related to this message have to do with the focus on the poor or the poor man. Now, when each one of us picks up the Bible to read it, we have to be careful because we all have our own views and values and understandings. So it's very easy for us to make a mistake based on our own understanding to read a message and put it into the passage. The way you study the Bible is to have an open mind and let the Bible speak to you. So... Even for myself, when I started preparing this message and looking at it, I thought I was going to be giving you a sermon about hell. But as I looked at it further, I realized that's not what it's about. So, in fact, you know, it's easy to misinterpret the Bible, is that this parable, to a large extent, is about those who misunderstand the Scriptures. Now, before I go on, there's some... Uh, 
you probably heard teachers or pastors or teachers talk about, you know, they'll tell you a message and they'll say what it means and then they'll tell you what it does not mean. So let me just start off and tell you what this passage does not mean. And I can use my clicker now. Yes. First of all, this passage is not condemning a luxuriant lifestyle. Nor is it saying that rich people are evil and are bound to go to hell. Also, this message is not about making poverty a virtue. Nor are poor people automatically justified in God's eyes and are automatically going to heaven. And this may be a little hard. This passage is not talking about that we should help the poor, feed the hungry, or care for the sick. That is not what this particular passage says. And also, this passage isn't even about hell, although you can draw out some interesting observations about hell. What was going on here was, and yes, they even have Lego figures that represent Bible characters, is that what this parable is, the story that Jesus was presenting to us was, he was giving us an image in which you had two people that could not be more different. You had the rich, the poor, you had the healthy, the sick. You had the well-fed, you had the hungry, you had the one who was hanging out with his friends and the one who was hanging out with dogs. One was buried and received a proper burial. The other one, his body was probably cast in just a common grave. So what Jesus was doing in this parable, he was presenting an image that people understood. You have the very rich and you have the very poor. And what he did was he took that, that image and he also laid upon it what was the common Jewish understanding of the afterlife, where the righteous go to paradise to be with God and the unrighteous, the unjust, uh, go to Hades. So this is what's going on. And so what is this passage about? Well, one of the ways to understand what, what the Bible uh, is telling us is to take a, a very good look at the context of where of the particular passages that you're looking at. And one of the passages, just a few verses before Jesus gave this parable, is uh, you know, 16, 14 through 15, where it says, Now the Pharisees were lovers of money. We're listening to all of these things. Uh, Jesus had been telling them a couple parables, and they were scoffing at him. And Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. So what we have here is the Pharisees. In the case uh, we didn't know, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were also very self-righteous and very exclusive in who they um, uh, associated themselves with. But they were the uh, the righteous, um, uh, the self-righteous people of the day. And like many of the parables, Jesus was uh, directing. Uh, this one at them. So there's going to be a lot of uh, references that I'll give you about uh, the pokes that Jesus was pointing at them. So what this parable was telling us is that the, the rich man in the parable represents the Pharisees. Now in Jesus' day, there was a, there was a misconception about those who were rich. If, if you were rich, the people thought that God blessed you and you were in favor with him. So, and we see this in Matthew's gospel where a young man came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. 
Well, the man went away sad. He did not take Jesus up on his offer because he was rich. And this is what Jesus had to say about that. Jesus said, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, who then can be saved? Even Jesus' disciples thought that if you were rich in this world, that you were blessed by God, not only in this world, but in the world in the life to come. So when Jesus told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man ended up in Hades, that was a complete shock to the audience. They would have been, it would have been a gasp. It was such a, a dramatic statement. But Jesus' point was that the parable, uh, is, one of the points is, is it's not about having money. It doesn't matter. Or it doesn't matter for that much how much you have or what you do with what you have. But as I'll point out later, it's about who you know. Now, also, in studying the Bible, you want to take note of some details. And in this particular passage, what, what caught my attention were the names that were mentioned uh, in the text. And you heard the name, one of the names was Abraham. And the rich man called out the father Abraham. Now, the Pharisees would have really related to that because they thought that they were very special because they were descendants of Abraham. They, they knew their bloodline the whole way back to, to Abraham. And they thought that they were superior to many others who, who had mixed races at that time. And even John the Baptist criticized them and says, that's no big deal. It doesn't matter what your bloodline is. If God wanted to, he could turn stones into children that were descendants of Abraham. So Abraham had a special meaning to the Pharisees, and Jesus was kind of knocking that. And what the name Abraham means is, and this is a fill-in on your bulletin, I'll try to point those out to you, is that the, the name Abraham means father of a great number or father of many. And again, this is a dig because one of the things that the, the rich man said when he was uh, in Hades, when he called out in verse 27, he says um, to, to Father Abraham, then I beg you, Father, that you send him, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Now, when you first read this, you think, well, okay, the guy's finally getting the message. You know, hell's a horrible place. Please tell other people about it. But he's only concerned about five people. Abraham's a father of many, so there's a little play on words here. And what Jesus, I think, was getting at was, again, the Pharisees were very exclusive. They thought that heaven and paradise was only reserved for a few. So when he says five, he's not really doing anybody any favors. He's just concerned about his own family. What about his wife? What about his mother and father? What about his neighbors, friends? None of that. Again, the Pharisees were very, very exclusive, and Jesus was pointing this out to them. Now, another name that's uh, um, in the message, in this passage, is Moses. And Jesus uses the phrase, Moses and the prophets. Everywhere else in the, in the New Testament, uh, when the writers were referring to the Old Testament, they would say the law and the prophets. And it's only here when, in Luke's writings that he uses the phrase Moses and the prophets. So what's the significance of that? I couldn't find any place anywhere that even addressed this. So let me, uh, let me give you what I think 
that uh, this is about. And um, one of the things that uh, the rich man said when he was in Hades, he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. And one of the stories I have to tell you is that every time I read this passage, it makes me think back to when I was young and dumb in high school, and I was on the football team, and we used to run, we used to have our training camps in August when it was very hot, and our coach used to make us run all kinds of sprints. And a 40-yard dash is like 10 in a row, and then he'd say, okay, run some plays, and then you know, run, run more da- uh, sprints, and it was a way of conditioning us, and they didn't have any water on the field in those days, so it was, it was brutal. And so we ran a bunch of sprints, and I was the quarterback, and the, and the coach, after the sprints, he said, all right, call a play, run a play. So we're all in a huddle, and I couldn't speak because my tongue was stuck to the roof of my mouth. My mouth was so dry that it just, I couldn't talk. And if I had a drop of water, it would have made all the, all the difference in the world. But I, I had to wait for my mouth to make some saliva. Meanwhile, the coach is screaming at me, call a play, call a play. And, I'm, and everybody else around me, because we just ran a bunch of sprints. So it took a while before I could finally open my mouth. And when I was talking, I was talking like I had like peanut butter in my mouth. It was crazy. So every time I read this passage, I think of that horrible day out on the football field. But for the people that were listening to Jesus in that part of the world, they knew what it, uh, the importance of water. They knew what it was like to be thirsty in a very hot and dry land. So what uh, Moses, the word Moses means is... To pull out, and this is in your bulletin, uh, to pull out or to draw out as in to draw out of water. Okay? Moses got his name from Pharaoh's uh, daughter because uh, she named him Moses because I drew him out of the water. And if you remember the story, Moses' family couldn't take care of him. They put him in a little basket and floated him down the Nile so that the Pharaoh's daughter could find him. So that's what the whole context of that is, because I drew him out of the water. So that's how he got his name. So water is associated with uh, the name Moses. So Jesus was actually having a little play on words here. And what he was really telling the Pharisees is, if you want life-giving water for your soul, take a look at what Moses had to say. And one of the things that Moses said was, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And also thinking of water, the prophets, one of the prophets had this to say about water. And Isaiah says, ho, I guess if he would have said yo, we would have thought he was from South Philly, but he says, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, eat. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and cost. What the Pharisees should have been doing, they should have been thinking about, well, who is this prophet? And what about this water? And buying things without money, how do you do that? Who's responsible? How, you know, who's behind all this? But what we see is that the Pharisees were so focused on their interpretation of the Scriptures, they were so interested in keeping the minor details of the law, they were focused on the what and not the who of the law. And we see that that was... A lot of people had that misconception because even Jesus, after he rose from the dead and he was walking on the road to Emmaus, his two disciples that he walked with, he had this discussion with them. And he says, in beginning with Moses and the prophets, 
he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, the scriptures are about who, not what. And that's what the Pharisees were missing. Now, the last name that I want to focus on in this uh, passage is, is Lazarus. And that's uh, the third fill-in for names. And that is, uh, God is my help, or God has helped. Now, when Jesus gave that name to that man, poor man in the parable, what he was implying was that that man's character or his life was reflected in his name. In other words, the man was someone who relied upon God's help or God's provision. Now, the Pharisees probably thought that was a joke because how could God help this man? He's in such a poor physical condition. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about God's help and provision for eternal life. And that's the reason why the poor man was in paradise and the rich man was not. To give somebody a name usually means that you know them, usually means that you're friends with them. And again, notice that the poor man had a name and the rich man didn't. God wants to be friends with us. And again, the Pharisees should have been tuning in to the name Abraham. It says, uh, in James it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God and was reckoned or accounted or credited to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Also, another friend of God is implied as Moses. This the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. This is a man speak to his, speaks to his friend. And the third friend of God is sinners. Jesus, who is God, was referred to as a friend of sinners. I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in that. I'm a sinner, and I'm glad that uh, Jesus wants to be my friend. But friends call each other by name, because it's all about who you know, not what you do. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And later in that chapter, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Why is it so important to know Jesus? He defines what eternal life is. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, this is kind of a vague statement, but what, what John is getting at here is, you know, what does it mean to know him? Is that in the Old Testament, there, uh, it's stated many times, but it would say that a man knew a woman, and she conceived the child. So the word know was a figure of speech or a euphemism, is that they had sexual relations. Well, you can't connect with anybody on any deeper level than a, than a sexual relation. So what John's saying here is not to have sex with God. What he's talking about is to know God personally. Because there's a big difference between knowing God and knowing about God. And this is probably one of the hardest verses in the Bible. And my slide, there we go. When it talks about knowing God, this, this, sorry, this is a little long-winded verse, but it says, Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? 
Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. And it's quite amazing that somebody could be doing all these things, all these good things on behalf of God, but not know him. I think on Judgment Day, we're all going to be surprised at who does make it to heaven. And we may even be more surprised by those who don't. Evidently, you can be so close, but yet so far. And that's what Jesus was warning us about there. But when it comes to eternal life, it's about all you know. When we speak about knowing Jesus, we're talking about having a relationship with him. Being a Christian is not just knowing about Jesus, it's knowing him personally. Jesus is God. We can pray to him. We can talk to him. He can speak to our hearts. As God, he's also all-present. He can be with us. And just like your friends, you can choose to spend time with him or not. And likewise, we can choose to spend time with Jesus and talk with him regularly. And we enter that relationship with Jesus by faith. And this is a very common verse. I'm sure you've heard it before. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. So the gift is underlined, and we get that gift through faith. Now, we read the verse about the earlier... Hello... When uh, the disciples were confused about who then can be saved, and then Jesus looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And what he's saying there is it is impossible for us to work and earn our acceptance before God. But with God who gives us a gift, that is the way that is possible for all people, not just the poor, but the rich, everyone is to receive Christ through faith. So that's, that is what the, the message is. We enter this relationship with God through faith. It's a choice each and every one of us makes. No one can make that for us. It's a choice that we have to make to accept that gift, to accept God's provision for us. As I was reflecting on this uh, parable, uh, probably the verse that, this gets to the, the main point is at the end after the, the rich man had asked for Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers uh, this little dialogue takes place Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them but he said no father Abraham but if someone goes to, to them from the dead they will repent but he said to them if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead and as I was looking at that, it just it struck me how amazing uh, people can be set in their ways. And essentially, the point here that Jesus was saying is, even if they saw someone raised from the dead, probably the miracle of miracles, the Pharisees are so entrenched in their view of, of carrying out the minor details of the law that they still would not get the point that the scriptures are about trusting in God's provision and trusting in Jesus. And I said earlier, you know, this passage was in large part about people who misinterpret the Bible, and the Pharisees were misinterpreting it, and they did so to their own harm. So the main point of the parable is this is their fill-in. It says, those who rely upon themselves to be justified before God will misinterpret, that's the word, will misinterpret the scriptures 
to validate their efforts of self-justification. Those who rely upon themselves to be justified before God will misinterpret the scriptures to validate their efforts of self-justification. Or if you want to state it differently, those people with a believing heart will be led by the scriptures to trust in God's provision of justification by faith in Christ. It's all about who you know, not about what you do. An application, again, this is very simple and very straightforward. If you've never trusted in Jesus, or if you're not a follower of Jesus, then trust in Jesus' provision for eternal life. His, his sacrificial death paid for your sins, paid for my sins, so that we can have eternal life with him. It's, it's that simple. It's trusting in Jesus' provision. And if you're a believer, again, we need to trust in Jesus' provision for living the Christian life. He's given us his Holy Spirit. When we try to do things on our own, we may have the best of motives, but unless God's Spirit is behind us and empowering us and guiding us, we're gonna, probably going to make a mess of things. So whether you're a non-believer or a believer, trusting what God's provisions are. In, in closing, so I don't want you guys to get too hungry with the food that's out there, is that, uh, I'll be honest, when I was preparing this message, I was, I, I was a little annoyed uh, because, you know, here's Jesus spending so much time in his ministry dealing with these knuckleheads, the Pharisees. I would have rather heard Jesus talk about kingdom living or what life was like in heaven or how we can expand God's kingdom here on earth or about the goodness of God. But Jesus instead had to take the time to address the Pharisees and those who thought like them. And then it dawned on me that people were people, whether it's first century Jews in Palestine or whether it's 21st century English or Korean or African Americans here in America, is that people were people. And evidently, there were enough people back in the first century that misunderstood the scriptures. They thought it was all about them carrying out the details of the law that made them right before God. So Jesus spent so much time addressing that. And that's why today we need to address it, because people were people. We're still going to have the same misunderstandings. So I just want to encourage you just to keep in mind that God opposes the self-righteous and the proud. He gives his grace to those people who are humble. So let's remember to be humble and receive all that we can possibly receive from God's gracious hand. Let's pray.